0: More than 80% of Dr. Persinger's subjects, whether they're religious believers or not, sense a presence from the God helmet. When the
1: right hemisphere is being stimulated, she felt the presence of things around her, five entities that were faceless. And she had a classic experience that takes place in the chamber. Now imagine what that would be if she was sitting in a church pew, or a synagogue, or a mosque or for that matter laying by herself at night in the middle of her bed and this happened can you imagine how she would label it
0: and the impact it would have on her entire life dr. Prescott's work raises the extraordinary possibility not just that spiritual experiences can be induced but that some of the most intense and influential religious visions in history may have their root in nothing more than the wiring of the human brain Wait. What? But America is a place where all things are possible. That is some group of people, thousands. as a demon. I hate you naturally. No, no, no! Not God bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible. Welcome to Profane Faith a podcast that engages faith on the margins, faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, Daniel White-Hodge. Welcome back, welcome back, as always. This is your boy, Daniel White-Hodge. Welcome back to Profane faith your source podcast for profaneness in religion um i want to thank you for listening i'm assuming if you're listening you you've heard some other episodes and you're probably like man all right i want to keep listening and that's cool that's good and if you haven't already please subscribe all right subscribe to a brother um <laughs> you know because that's kind of the currency of the podcasting world right now right is is um you know, subscriptions and, you know, telling a friend. That would be really, really, really nice. So, again, if you're liking it, review us. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google, we're on SoundCloud, we're in all the places, right? We're like Visa, every place you want to be, right? <laughs> um, but seriously, thank you for listening. Um, I think, particularly today on this episode, or again, today, tonight, whenever you're listening, um, I mean, what? how many questions do you guys pose? towards folks who don't believe in the same belief system you do, all right? I mean, that's a legitimate question. I mean, how how often do you have a conversation with somebody who is not a quote unquote believer? This last book I wrote, well, at least at the time of this publication of this podcast uh, here in 2017, The Hip Hop's Hostile Gospel really challenged me in my writing to come out of my evangelical discourse. I didn't really understand that. Well, I didn't even know I had it. I didn't even understand where it came from at at, at first. And I didn't even know I had it until, you know, if you're in the Academy, you know, you get blind reviews and reviewers, you know, they give you input on your stuff and that's not always a good process. But in this particular time, it really helped me understand that how I was writing was really framed and versed within an evangelical setting. Um, yeah, you say, well, Dan, what's wrong with that? Well, unless somebody calls you out on some of the stuff that you do oftentimes you don't necessarily even know you got it right and you know i'm getting comments back from the you know from the outside reader and it says man this is this reads very religious and i'm thinking to myself whoa wait a minute um but you know i am a religious person I, you know god got me got me to the start examining like well what does he mean by that or what does she mean by that And then it, you know, and then some more comments came in was just like, you know, this really sounds very evangelically. And I'm not sure if this is the type of book that we want to publish right now. Now, this is with a non-Christian publisher, uh, which I'm always happy to publish with. Because honestly, I feel like I can really say what I want to say in those environments. But to lean into that, I really needed to be able to listen to what was being told to me in terms of criticism. Right. I needed to be able to sit with that and say, what is it that is causing this? Now, you know, it it can be a painful process, right? Especially if you've written a few of the things before, and then all of a sudden somebody is telling you, man, you you just, this stuff is kind of (laughs) like, right. And so it challenged me enough to begin to think, what is my discourse? And that started along the lines with me really deconstructing my own evangelicalism and what that meant at that time. And so that was a good process. That was a good thing. That was a good thing to be, To have happening to me at that at that particular time. And so I think it got me to realize just how indoctrinated I had become, enculturated, if you will, to a particular way of talking, to a particular way of phrasing um, verbiage. And, you know, you don't notice it until you leave that. Right. It's like when you're in a situation or when you're in a context where you have a whole bunch of acronyms and it's just you just assume everybody knows those acronyms. Like when I was at Fuller, you know, School of Intercultural Studies was S.I.S. School of Theology was S.O.T. School of Psychology was S.O.P. But And that's great for that context. But guess what? You leave that context and hmm, nobody knows that. And. I realized just how much of my talk was around ministry and the Lord and we're building God's kingdom. And where is God? I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. You're right. Now, I know some of you have been thinking, well, what's wrong with that? I still don't see anything wrong with that. Again, inherently, there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is that when we assume that that is the normative of life and the way things should be done right the way we should always be talking that's when it becomes a problem and i think for me i didn't notice how enculturated i was with that language until somebody challenged me so bringing that around to today's episode i get to have a conversation with a good friend of mine that i just met at aar along with jr forsteros i met kate sanchez and she's an atheist
2: oh
0: my goodness right you're like What? This is profane faith. We gonna be having some conversations with folks who don't think like you. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. I always tell my students in my classroom, if you leave with more questions than answers, I have done my job. If you leave a little more frustrated about the world that we live in, I'm glad because hopefully that frustration, right, will push you to the next level to actually do something to change some things. And so for me, it's about opening up minds. And I really respect Kate and where she's at, the process that she's been in, the process she's been through, uh, where she's come from. And I just love the conversations that her and I get to have around God. You think, well, does she doesn't believe in God. Right, that's the whole good thing about that. <laughs> um so um, I'm hoping you will enjoy this particular conversation I had with her. Uh, it's a really intriguing one, and we, you know, we bring up some stuff. We bring up some good things that I think it's important. What does faith mean? What does that actually look like when there is? or oh, when there are the tentacles of capitalism involved in the commodity of right christianity what happens when christianity and particularly any type of religion for that matter but particularly christianity what happens when that religion has just turned into just a form and i think we're experiencing some of that today so i wanted to bring in in particularly this this uh, this era so i wanted to bring kate on for us to have a conversation in, in regards to that so what do you think you ready for it <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Well, check it out. This is her and I having a conversation around faith and culture and ethnicity and feminism. Woo, doggies. All right, like I always say, we're going in. Well, welcome back, everyone, to Profane Faith. This is your boy, Daniel White Hodge. And today I am really excited for another quick rising friend of mine that I met at the American Academy of Religion, Sister Kate Sanchez. Kate, thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Oh,
0: this is great. For those of you who don't know and you haven't checked out um, uh, Oh My Wednesday, Kate and I, we do another little podcast on the American Gods television series. But more importantly, because Kate just has just got the knowledge and the realm the know-how of theology and comic books and feminism, right? Feminism am I, am yep. I, okay oh,
1: yes, a whole bunch of third wave feminism over here. That's
0: what I'm talking about. that's <laughs> what I'm talking about. I have some people who in in um well, i won't i won't I won't name them because they may be listening right now because I don't <laughs> want to get into that yet, but they push back on third wave feminism and stuff and so I they,
1: can, I, I there is valid critique against it. I think the biggest thing right now that we need to be working on together is pushing out of third wave and focusing on intersectional feminism. Uh, that's that's where it's at. That's where it's supposed to be. OK. Um, and I'm doing my best to help us get there because intersectionality it. is key.
0: That's right. That is correct. Well, so for those listeners who are just tuning in, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. How do how have you ended up where you're at right now?
1: Ooh, I hate these questions. I <laughs> talk about me.
0: It's <laughs> hey, a yeah. hard. It's hard. No, no, no shoot. It just roll, <laughs> ask roll Ask me right to off.
1: define religion. That one's easier. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Well, let's start
0: there. Let's start there. How do you define oh. religion?
1: Oh, okay. I didn't mean that. But yeah. Okay. I'll th- uh, For me personally, I think religion is a functional system that y- that people use to understand the world around them. Mm-hmm. Um, either guides them morally, physically. Um, And that, my friends, I believe extends not just to the realm of God and theology, but also to pop culture and Star Wars.
2: Yes. Um,
1: Anything that make that you revolve your life around. And I know some dedicated football fans, some dedicated Trekkies Mm -hmm. who celebrate their fandoms with as much vigor as uh, a lot of people do Sunday in a church.
0: Absolutely. So for
1: me, it's all about functionality.
0: Functionality. I hear that. And so... And what is, what is, so then let me back up into this in this way, then how, what has brought you to that definition then? How have, were you raised that way with that definition?
1: Ooh, no. (laughs) I was raised in a very, very, very Mexican Catholic uh, household. Think of every stereotype you have about Mexicans (laughs) and all of their candles. Oh no. And all of their shrines on their front lawns. No, no. And that was my family. (laughs) Okay.
0: All right. I got, I still got family members like that too.
1: Yeah. Oh, I still do too. <laughs> Every time, I'm like, Mom, I'm applying for this. I'm li- I'm lighting a candle for you, Mija. Oh yeah. It's, it's a joke. Where, it's a joke between me and my partner. It's like, don't tell your mom. She's gonna burn the house down. She's gonna light too many candles. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, no. I I grew up extremely Catholic. I believe my mom says I wanted to be a nun when I was younger. Wow. Um, and now I'm an atheist.
0: All right, and see, and another one of the another one of the many reasons I wanted to have have you on. That's (laughs) great because I know there's going to be people on here who are extra Bible belty. I have some Bible belters who who are on here, and so I'm just curious. I mean, what? How did how did you arrive? Because I'm curious. I'm curious too. Like, how did you arrive to that point and say, look, I'm I'm an atheist, and then how? How? And then the second part of that would be then, how does your family engage with that? If they're still burning candles and spirituality, all that.
1: So, I arrived at, honestly, through studying religion, um, mm. studying what people believe, and really seeing that it wasn't too much different from what people did outside of a religious context. Okay. Um, and not only that, I just uh, have some moral issues with an an all-good God. Um, I guess I can buy into polytheism or dualism more okay. than I can monotheism. Okay. Um, but, personally, I... I have faith in myself, and I have faith in the people around me, and I believe that people do things, and uh, there are some times in my life that I had some really bad situations, mm-hmm. and it was people who either lifted me up or kept me down, and so I put my faith in people first, um, and that, that's what kind of led me there, and just studying religion, seeing how... I guess I'm back up a little bit. When I was an atheist, when I became an atheist, um, mm-hmm. moving from a very big Catholic family with strong rituals, strong traditions, and when you're Mexican and you're Catholic, your culture is tied to your religion. Mm. It is really hard to separate the two. Um, yeah. I mean, I still study, I still celebrate Day of the Dead, even as an atheist, but I do it for the therapeutic purposes of okay. grieving. Okay. Um, I gotta but, come back to
0: that. I'm coming back to yes. that, but keep going, keep going. This is good. It all out there. I love it.
2: Um,
1: but the one thing I was worried about, I wasn't. Uh, I, I wasn't church going. So I wasn't worried about that. I was worried about losing the sense of community and connecting to people.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: Um, and I found actually that the healthier way for me to connect was actually through the things I loved every day. And for me, that was comic books and star Wars and sci-fi and mm. fantasy because a lot of my experiences, as religion were extremely unhealthy. They were um, either shaming me for sex, shaming me for being a woman, putting me oh, into geez. a role that I did not fit. Um, yeah. And criticizing me and damning me for living my life in an appropriate way. I mean, I, I, I live in sin. But guess what? I also do a lot of community work and I work with nonprofits and I push as much as I can to help people. And to me, helping people is what meant more Mm -hmm. than going to church or believing in a God. Yeah. Um, And so that's what I put my focus in. And then so once I put my focus in that and I realized, well, actually, this communal aspect, this attachment to something larger than myself that everybody uh, speaks about when they talk about the Holy Spirit or Jesus, it may sound a little cheesy, but I got that when I went to a convention and I was with a whole bunch of other people who... Loved the things I loved, and you know, talk for hours about you know the world of Star Trek or how J.R.R. <laughs> yeah. Tolkien made Middle Earth. You know, yeah, that that was my home and that was my community, and that that to me speaks more than the church ever did. Hmm. Um, and those are people making it.
0: Uh, no, oh, absolutely. I mean, and so I'm curious then as, as we as we look at this, this you know, there's been. Research studies. I'm forgetting the guy's name Who? Um, it's not Dawkins, but it's I'm forgetting another guy. He's uh, he's a psychologist and he's developed this thing called um, the God Hat. Um, I'm sure you've heard of, of that.
2: Yes,
1: I've heard of it. Yeah.
0: And so it, it, um, you know, essentially for those of you who don't know, um, it, it, he is, he also, you know, works, he's like brain, he does stuff with brain waves and everything. I'm not a psychologist. I'm I'm a social theorist. So, um, (laughs) excuse the technical lingo, you know, of brain things and brain waves. That's, I'm sure that's real technical and everything, but I don't
1: understand those either. Yeah.
0: (laughs) but essentially he found places in the brain that light up that connect with that people begin to think that they are experiencing, right. This, this outer worldly thing. And he said, I can control it to the point of feeling good and then feeling evil. You know, it's like when people would continue like his, you know, he reports back, like people continually were saying, Oh, this, this, I felt like an evil presence in the room and stuff. And so, you know, imagine if those things didn't happen in a church or a synagogue or, or a place like that and stuff. And so, how have you engaged, and I'm coming back to the Dile de los Muertos, but how have you engaged <laughs> in this current socio-political era and all the religious rhetoric, right? We got these hurricanes coming and people are like, oh, see, God is still mad because Obama was president for eight years. And yeah, I, I'd be curious to see how you engage with something like that right now, just some of the conversations you've been having.
1: So personally, when it comes to a lot, I put science Above these other things. Come on. And with science, right, you have ways to solve, maybe not immediately, but hurricanes and droughts and the polar ice caps melting, you know? <laughs> right. Combating climate change is really, really important. So, how I deal with these things, or people may deal religiously, is I'm just like, hey, maybe go read some climate change articles, put on a little Bill Nye. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <You're> <laughs> you know? Right.
1: Because the thing is, and the way I explained it to like, my fam, my, my mom, my mom's still extremely religious, and, and coming around as an atheist to her was hard. Mm, she was like, you have I to bet. believe in something. And I was like, well, but, you know, it's not that I don't believe in anything. I believe in people. And once I kind of just explained to her that, like, I trust the person next to me to do something good or bad. You mm-hmm. know, it is all up to us. She was like, well... You know, Miha, you, you've you done a lot of good in your life. You're a good person. That's fine. But it was a really long process, a really long process. And for me, there's this there's like this joke type thing where this guy is drowning and he turns away three lifeboats and then he dies and he goes up to God and God's like and he's like, God, why did not you say he's like, well, I sent you three lifeboats. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, kind of okay. like people like, even if you believe. Mm hmm you still need to do something. So when i hear all this religious rhetoric like god is punishing us or you know god chose trump or god you know god did this god thinks this it's like no god doesn't think that. <laughs> you do honey, you, you think that right. and you're imposing it on god and you want an excuse to make this happen. Yeah. Well guess what? If you get up and you go out there and you work that is like be the change Do the action and help people because, I mean, people probably argue me with on this. Like, feel free to at me. I'll put my Twitter handle and everything out there. (laughs) But, you know, God didn't help the people in Harvey. People did. Mm. People got together, rallied, drove giant trucks through Houston to try and save each other out of compassion for each other.
2: Mm.
1: And for me, and I think the religious responsibility, God put that compassion. It's like, well... There's a lot of people who also didn't and God didn't save them. So why did God flood everything just to then make people go save them? For me, <laughs> the environment is the environment we can save it through listening to our scientists and performing actions that better our, our world for our children and our grandchildren and, you know, for years to come and then we can choose to Maybe not just pray to get up and drive down to Houston during Labor Day weekend. Hmm. And, you know, maybe not pray for Houston, but go to the Red Cross's Amazon wish list and send in tarps and cribs and diapers. And, you know, maybe Joel station should open his doors when, you know, people started getting kicked out
0: <laughs> of their Osteen. houses
1: because of floods.
0: Right, right.
1: So, like, for me, dealing with this religious rhetoric. A lot of the times, especially as a woman, because a lot of it is against me, right? I'm yeah. I'm I'm the liberal feminist. I believe oh, no. in my my bodily autonomy, <laughs> and you know, and I'm brown. Like a lot of the time, this religious rhetoric is against me. Um, if I let all of it get to me, I would not be able to progress in my everyday life. Yeah. Um. So I look at the things I can change. I speak out on issues when I can speak out on them. I use my platform that I have to you know defend things like DACA and support my Mm -hmm. you know my freedom of choice and I listen to all the rhetoric going around here and you know it's always the end times for somebody for me (laughs) I'm gonna listen to the scientists and the physical data that proves where we are and what we can do to impact the world ourselves because we got here yeah put ourselves in this mess we can get ourselves out you know (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I've, no absolutely i mean i think and i think that's the part that um i know i've wrestled with just with an, a deity right like up in if if there is this because i mean i, I mean i'll back it up even more i mean as as a father if i saw my daughter i mean even when i see her suffering i mean i know i want to help and fix it i mean i don't know if i would throw water on her just to say oh do you believe Do you believe i can fix this <laughs> and stuff and so those you're are not some... gonna
1: put her through tests
0: right <laughs> And so I think that's part of that theological canon that just that doesn't necessarily add up, um and particularly, you know, as as it pertains to suffering, human suffering and just the human condition. We think about war, um, and what has been allowed, just even in the last hundred years, not even going back two, three years. Even in the last
1: years. twenty years. Right.
0: Well, and now we're forty five. Look-
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's just look how long's uh, the iraq and afghani war been going on like let's just look at the atrocities of ha- that have happened since then yes or what kicked it off
0: yes yes you know? and yeah exactly <laughs> so with that it's particularly science in mind so how then then going back to dia de los muertos and just this, I mean, how do you engage with that now what do you how does, how does that you know come about in your own realm?
1: So for those of you listening who may not be Mexican-American or, you know, know too much about it, other than that, you know, we paint our faces. Um, Dia de los Muertos is a two-day celebration. It starts with Dia de los Angelitos, which is celebrating the the young children who have passed on, so in uh, children and infants. Um, and then Dia de los Muertos is for adult souls. And for mexican catholics um there's a belief and then i would say more generally as well this is a cultural tradition that has been around since indigenous mexico for about three thousand years um it's a belief that for these two days the spirits of your loved ones if you remember them and you celebrate them will come and celebrate with you Mm. um so there's a belief that so we don't just paint our faces to look pretty or cool, like a lot of people do on Halloween. Yes, I'm side-eyeing you if you do that. <laughs> um, we do it in big get-togethers because it's we're disguising ourselves as the dead so that our family members feel comfortable when they come to meet us. Um, we also leave marigold petals from, um, if you live in a rural area, you'll do it from the grave site to your front door. If mm-hmm. you live in a non-rural area, you'll leave it from your door to your ofrenda, so your altar. Um, And on that altar, you'll find calaveras, uh, sugar skulls, um, which I'm pretty sure most of you are probably familiar with. (laughs) And on those, it's not just pretty decoration. No, it's not. (laughs) Um, The larger and more intricate, they have names. And each of those calaveras um, represent different souls who have passed on. Um, And you align them on an altar. And on that altar, you have pictures of your family, the people who have passed uh, or Selena. A lot of Mexicans do Selena. I've (laughs) (laughs) uh, Carrie Fisher will probably be on mine too. I will probably have Princess Leia. There we go. Um, (laughs) There we go. (laughs) But the reason you do this is because as you grieve throughout the year, you don't have a sense of celebrating life. Mm
0: -hmm. And there's this
1: idea that death is such a sad affair. You know, if you've ever lost somebody close to you, it is overwhelming sadness and pain for a really long time, especially immediately after. And there's very little time for you to celebrate them. And so a day of the dead does is it's it's days where you take those memories and you live with them and you and in and in the ritual in what a lot of Mexican uh, Mexicans believe is you're actually celebrating with them because they are there with you. Now, as an atheist, I don't believe that. I believe that when we die, we die. That's it. Okay. Well when my when my grandfather passed away, it was, I when I lost my grandmother, I was still practicing Catholic, and then when I lost my grandfather, probably it's gonna be about four years now, mm-hmm. um, right around Christmas, mm. um my my family consoled each other with talks of heaven and reuniting with my grandmother and we'll eventually see him. And for me that didn't work. Okay. I was just sad, and I was hurting because I needed to process my grief, yeah, um, and I couldn't do that because what they saw as comforting them didn't comfort me because i don't I don't believe in that that's not how how it works for me. You die and you're dead and but what did help me was the idea that i my grandfather is still here because I remember him
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I enact my life. Mm. In his footsteps, you know, yeah. my grandfather was a migrant farm worker. My grandfather toiled hard; like he didn't Man. retire till he was seventy. Ooh. Like he was, he was a little old security guard with a Pee Wee Herman red bike. <laughs>
2: um,
1: he used to wow. jump rope in his eighties. He wow. still did the, you know, the the speed bad for boxing when he turned ninety, and wow. he passed away later on. And for me, the concept behind Day of the Dead was important because it was about memories and celebrating life. So, and, and this is why insp- I, I I I encourage people who aren't Latino or specifically Mexican because it's a Mexican tradition, but who aren't Latinx, who aren't Mexican, who have lost somebody and who are looking for a grieving process, like reach out, go to celebrations and see what it's about. Because for me, it let me process that grief in a very healthy mm. way.
2: Yeah. You yeah.
1: know, I may not have made an ofrenda but I kept those with me. I have a picture of my grandfather hanging up. I have I have their prayer cards in my wallet even though I don't believe their prayer cards really do anything. <laughs> For me having them there it's the reminder. Yeah. And so the spirit of Day of the Dead of living through that memory and celebrating that memory mm-hmm. that's therapeutic to me. And mm. do the process of remember, like we, uh, we celebrated day of the dead here in Austin, my partner and I with our friends last year and going and seeing everything and being in that communal space where people are remembering their loved ones. You know, I wasn't overtly doing it, but in my head, I was processing my feelings. Grief yeah. is hard and it's hard to go through alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so for me, that's what it is. It's therapy. It's, yeah. a, it's a catharsis where I can think through a ritualistic manner. You know, everything's easier if you have a plan to do it. And so <laughs> yes. setting a picture up and just sitting there and not praying, just thinking, thinking about those really fun times. You yeah. know, thinking about my grandpa at his speed bag, or you yeah. know, my grandma letting me sit on her lap and putting cookies into her coffee, you know, Selena singing como la flor. Like there are these little things that you feel throughout the year that you kind of push back because you don't want yourself to hurt and you don't want to keep crying and you have to move past it and move on. And
2: yeah.
1: on Day of the Dead, you can you can embrace it all. You can cry. It, yeah. it, it's great to cry. You can feel it and you can feel it with other people who were in your family. Mm-hmm. But then at, at night, you celebrate. Yeah. and you enjoy them and you remember them and so for me it's not necessary it's not just a religious practice it's well, for people it is and that's one of the reasons why um i personally get very angry when i see people appropriating it for halloween Yeah, um, and, it, and, I, and when i say appropriate i'm not talking about the white people in the audience i'm talking about anybody including the mexicans yeah 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 wear it on halloween i saw that tweet
0: this, of yours oh
1: yeah because it it it's disrespecting something that has such a strong tie to the culture that should be celebrated on the days that it's deemed. And almost every city has a Day of the Dead festival. It's you know, it, yes. it's a tourist attraction a lot of the time. Oh, absolutely. Um but it's, you know, it, it's great. And and if if you love the iconography and you do want to paint your face up, well do it on november 1st or 2nd when there ha- when there's an actual festival going on so you can be respectful about it and yes. and engage in the culture and learn about what what it has to be um but yeah for me like that that's what i said earlier like it's hard to disconnect your culture from your religion when you're a mexican catholic so for me mm-hmm. i just took all the catholicism out of it and i said what does this do for me functionally because there's a lot of stuff i don't do i i don't go to church with my parents i prefer not to the last time i was in church was when my grandfather died um i we don't say grace my mom has respected because both my partner and i are, are atheists and said we're not going to bring religion in our house around you
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know you don't have to pray you don't have to do that our holidays will be celebrated secularly while you are here because we love you and you're part of our family and we respect you yeah um which was a big turning point for her um cause she used to drag me to like 7 a 7 a.m mass all <sighs> oh time. man oh man um, but, yeah, so for, it's a process being a minority and an atheist. It's not as easy as being somebody who doesn't have their religion as closely tied,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, like yeah. that, but...
0: Well, um, so, so this is a couple of things. I was, I was, as I as you're <laughs> talking here, I was like, all right, let me let me go find this this tweet because you do. You, I, I'm going back. And I'm going to put this in the show notes. Your Twitter handle because I I mean I think what you're doing is is good stuff out there with comic books and pop culture and the other podcasts that you are on, which we'll mention of course here in a minute. But you say. This one and, and I wanted you to comment on this and then I want to get into like academia stuff too. But you said I hate my extended family, conspiracy theory nut jobs, ignoring <laughs> science and thumping their bibles. I'm so glad I don't have to see them. One is teaching her children to ignore science teachers because YouTube videos that tell her the Illuminati manipulate weather. And I I can resonate with that because as we were sharing prior to the show, I have I have family members who still think the the British redcoats are coming back, and so you know we have to have the Second Amendment and move out to farms and everything. So thoughts on that and how those? Because I I mean I know I you know I'm sure you're on some prayer list. Let's just keep it real, right? You're know, sure oh, yeah. you know Kate is you know we're we got her. We're praying for her. There's
1: some prayer warriors coming out there for me. They're 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 trying to get me saved again.
0: Right. So how how do you now how do you in you know just have conversations around that whether it be with your mom whether it be just extended family what and and, and just what prompted you to to have that tweet out there I'm assuming something gave yeah. a genesis to that.
1: So, first off, I don't talk about it with my family. That's why I'm not on Facebook and I'm on Twitter.
0: Ah uh, yes,
2: <laughs> um, yes. Because
1: I don't know. We're at such a time in our in our country where education is under is under threat
0: yes absolutely it's very real absolutely you know
1: we're not leading in science and math and engineering we're not producing and we are not encouraging children you know children to learn these things because we're seeing stuff on youtube and we're believing it's real you know that may just be a, a side effect of the social media age right mm-hmm. but the other part also has to go to this rise of the religious right again um and this this Focus and fascination with disproving Science or that you can't Have both you have to choose one or the Other Um, A lot of atheists think you do have to Choose between one or the other I don't Yeah um, necessarily I think there are some things that you just Can't like you just have to give up one Or the other but I think overall you can live Your life and understand that hey I may believe this But there is physical proof And data that tells me that this is What's happening (laughs) yeah if you believe God will not let you drown, but there is a foot of water in front of a foot of flood water in front of you. yeah, chances are you're still not gonna go into the water <laughs> so um that like I can't really have conversations with them because I feel such a heavy weight of the fact that like specifically and this is what prompted the tweet she has children,
2: yeah, she is teaching
1: yeah. her children to ignore. Hmm. education to Hmm. ignore teachers. And and her, her mother is a teacher. And this is, this is like the only part of this living situation that is good is her mother is pushing back on her and saying, you can't do this. You're, you're Hmm. ruining these children. And for me, if you deny your kids a future like that, that is tantamount to child abuse for me. Yeah. You're holding them back. And that just makes me extremely mad. And when I talk, the only person I do, I have talked about this with other than her sister who is studying to be a veterinarian. Who she called a demon
0: oh, oh, for being my. a scientist? Oh, the demons came out! Uh, oh man! Oh
1: yeah, no, and she also <laughs> has like a mini Torah scroll that apparently lets gays walk into her house while leaving their sin outside. It, it's a whole weird thing. I don't understand wow. what parts of religion are going into this. Like, All right. I, I lost count a long All right. time ago. <laughs> um,
0: well, we going back on that but, one? Wow! Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> But like I talked to my mom about it and we got into a pretty big fight because she was like, oh, the belief, it's her belief, you know, she's not hurting anyone. And my partner overheard and he was like, that's, that's just, that's not right. It is hurting somebody. It's hurting her children. Yeah. Like there is a point where, yes, you can believe what you want to believe. But the moment you start imposing it on somebody who does not have the will to say no. That's a good point. Or you start enacting it in the government. Yeah. Or and you start taking people's rights away and you lead them into a life of complete ignorance. Because I'm telling you, if those kids don't get that access to education or completely push back against it, and they're smart kids, mm-hmm. they're not going to progress. And right. I don't, you know, I don't want kids. I'm not a mother. I don't want to <laughs> tell anybody about their mothering. But I know my mom growing up was always like if she told like was pushing education so we could better ourselves and yeah. become better and be better people through learning. Yeah. And for my cousin, learning is sitting in front of TV and watching a 9-11 documentary like that. That's not the same. She doesn't <laughs> believe in gravity either. You what? know, she, what? <laughs> yeah, well, no, she, she believes whoa. that boats disprove gravity because boats would sink. Because buoyancy and water displacement are apparently not a thing. And so wow, she goes on the-
0: You got me beat. Wow.
1: It's crazy. <laughs> it, it is crazy. And I, I say that not lovingly because this is just, she believes that she's doing, she has it in her head that she's doing research by watching these documentaries. And she says, well, when somebody does it in front of me, it's like, girl, go to college. <laughs> Like, I know you barely passed high school, but I know you can get into a community college. Right. Go to community college, take some physics classes, and they will do it right in front of you. Like, there are a reason these things are scientific laws. Right. They have been proven.
2: (laughs) Um, Mercy. So
1: I let it out on Twitter because my mom has this. I, I called out some racists in my family before. I mean, and they completely cut me off. They don't engage with my mom. It, it's only my my mom's sister's like kid and her and and his wife. Okay. But my mom's just kind of like, you don't live here, so you don't have to feel it, and you're isolating me from the family. And you know, I'm like, honestly, if they're blaming my actions on you, yeah, that points to who they are as a person, not to me. Um, so I've yeah. just kind of chosen radio silence I don't want to interact with them mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I don't I don't go on Facebook anymore because I'm just I, I personally can't take That level of ignorance yeah. And it The the longer, because at first I, I was like No mom, okay, I guess you're right, whatever
2: mm-hmm.
1: You know, it, it's her belief But the longer I started thinking about it um, It's just kind of like you're hurting your children yeah, you are hurting your children by doing this. Yeah, um, well, and that—that—that's a problem.
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, I know I, you know, as a college professor, I see freshmen coming in, and I'm in a private Christian college, and so I see freshmen coming in that have been raised in environments like that, and, and of all ethnicities. So it's not just limited to you know the crazy white folks or the, <laughs> oh, the oh, oh the Latino ex, you know that crazy uh, that are,
1: comes in all shades. Oh
0: my gosh, and so. Sitting in there and seeing an 18, 19 year old that is their personality is formed. They've grown up around this stuff. And so now you've got this crazy professor that is telling them, no, 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 no. You know, because, you know, I had one student say, oh, well, I believe in biblical marriage. I was like, oh, man. OK, well. So you must want like multiple wives and you must want if your wife can't produce, then you must want uh, a concubine, a little thing on the side. Right. You know, and, you know, he was just blown away. I said, but that's I said biblical marriage. I said, that's a very blunt statement. I mean, are you serious about that? Like, no, no. I mean, a man marriage between man and a woman. I said, right. But. Even that, <laughs> and we think about it, <laughs> and it was just oh yeah, i mean i've I've had all kinds, so yeah, absolutely, I think that when you involve somebody else, it's just it starts to yeah uh, yes, wow. I mean,
1: and like that that's probably I mean, I, I don't want kids for a lot of reasons, but just mainly, <laughs> like, for me, if I did have a child, that child would pretty much be raised without religion, yeah, but if if it wanted to go down a path that they chose that's their path <laughs> yeah but i personally like i got ulcers as a kid because i thought oh, wow. the world was gonna end because i spilled big red on the carpet and i hit it like that type yeah. of shame yeah. and guilt and impending doom is not healthy yeah it is not especially yeah. for a child as much as people say i want my child to say a child it's like well you're not letting them by giving them gruesome crucifixion images and, you know, making them believe that any little thing they do is going to damn them like that. That is not, you have a right to believe what you want to believe. You do not have a right to impose that on another living creature.
0: Uh, Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, and I think that that's, that is where so much of us is is at, you know, thinking about just education. I mean, as as an educator, I think, OK, so, you know, Trump has put together this uh, higher ed advisory council with. Um, oh, what's his name from Liberty University? Um, crazy boy.
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, the, the, the junior. Yeah. Yes,
0: the junior. Right. He's he the seems junior. Be, he seems to be even more batshit crazier than the dad.
1: I didn't think it could happen. Oh, uh, uh, I right, did. Right.
0: <laughs> but he's now heading up this higher education task force. And my first thought is, it's like, okay, now they're coming after, quote, unquote, all the liberals and all the folks who have tried to deteriorate my right. It's like this revisionist history. I, I, you know, I'm sure you saw the Bannon interview with. Um, oh, gosh. I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> know, I know. And so that you know, and he and he's jamming them up about like, you know, Native Americans. He's like, oh, that's a leftist agenda. And I'm like, so now we've arrived at this point that, you know, slavery's just a liberal agenda and like Native Americans being killed and slaughtered. That's just a leftist agenda. That's not, you know, not what happened. So I, you know, I I'm I'm thinking about okay, what does education then look like? Not even in thirty, forty, fifty years, but just even in a decade. Like in twenty twenty seven, what are we where where are we gonna be at? Speaking of that <laughs> and and shifting track i'd love to talk just a little bit here um on just your journey through higher ed as a a recovering academic i think you you put that somewhere in your profile (laughs) because i mean i personally think i don't want to all fan gushing but i personally think you're brilliant i mean i've heard you speak i I, you know i heard you at the at the conference and so i was like i was kind of bummed i ain't gonna lie when i saw that i was like oh man but what, what brought you that and what got you to that point where you're just like, you know what? Uh-uh, this ain't for me.
1: Yeah, so I loved academia. I loved the research of it. And I, love, I loved teaching. I loved my discussion sections. I, love, I loved giving lectures. And I loved doing research. And I loved imparting that knowledge. Um, I Growing up, the, I was going to get a bachelor's degree. That was non-negotiable.
2: <laughs> um, and
1: then I was initially going to go into law school. I got in a few places oh, all right. um, all right. and then I got, you know, I got pulled into the PhD track. Um, it was pretty good. I got my, you know, my tuition was all paid for. Um, it was barely enough to live in Austin cause Austin's just really expensive, but yeah. you know, I made out better than I would have had I gone to law school and a lot of other people who choose grad school.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I did really well. Um, I, I know, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm not humble or anything. I just have Kendrick Lamar on my head.
2: But, <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but I excelled. Yeah. And I excelled from undergrad and I excelled in graduate school. And one of my advisor, actually both my advisors who I adore and love and they did a lot to get me where I needed to go, said, you were probably the only one out of here who will have a tenure track job by the time you're done. Wow! And wow. that to me meant a lot, and I felt like I was letting them down when I left. Um, but that last year,
0: yeah,
1: um, it was hard because mm. I came in doing pop culture and religion and looking at how pop culture shapes how we view people, people's religious identities, specifically Muslims in the U.S. Mm. Um, and before that, the undergraduate honors thesis that I got in on was how science fiction fan communities resemble religious communities when you use um oh white wow man I forgot his name I haven't been out that long uh
2: <laughs> yeah, Durkheim when there he you used go the, uh, Durkheim. when you use
1: Durkheimian religion yes, um, yes and also David Chittister's view on the church of baseball there we and go. uh religious fakes is probably one of my favorite books come on um so I have that knowledge um but that's <laughs> what I came in and doing and the longer I actually started investigating these questions, I realized that I don't want to necessarily talk about religion because religion is a side point to me. the one of the main things that it, it our identities are not singular. And I was noticing mm. in a lot of um, a lot of books, specifically books about spirituality right. Um,
2: right I
1: love you, Courtney Bender, but I have a lot of issues with your book. <laughs>
2: um,
1: the focus for these things were white people.
2: Enacting
1: yeah. spirituality and appropriating other cultures. And none of that was really talked about. It was just about the woman who believed when she took belly dancing, she was really somebody in like three like three hundred BC Egypt or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, And I'm like, no, you're not. Like, I get it. You believe it. That's cool as a religious. As a religious studies scholar, yes, we need to investigate that, and we need to find out, we need to see how, what she does to get into that headspace, and you know how it makes her feel. But guess what? She is also a white woman appropriating somebody else's culture to make her feel better at night, and that also Mm. has to be investigated. Mm. That being said, yes, it also happens with Latino spirituality for all those people in the Latinx community. Our brand of Catholicism and Pentecostalism is highly, highly defined by our ethnic status. Yeah. That is. Yeah. We view our world through that lens as well. And if you're a woman, well, guess what? That's another lens.
2: Mm. And if
1: you're LGBTQ plus, that's another lens. And for me, I was reading so much scholarship that just focus on the religious component. Yeah. And then I went into I, I took a media and diaspora class and I started looking um, at cultural studies um cultural studies writers like Stuart Hall and yeah. um Yeah and and Clifford and I, my my world just like blew up. I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is the work <laughs> that I want to be doing. Yes. And this is my I'm I just got my masters. I'm in my, you know, I'm in my comp stage and I'm just now learning about these people.
0: Right. No, I've I i am I, I was And the then same I way. started
1: thinking, why was that? Mm -hmm. And it was because my department wasn't geared to help somebody who was thinking out of the box. It was they wanted trailblazers, but it was geared towards just the way religion has always been done and talking about race from the position of somebody who didn't actually have to live that life. Um, And it Hmm. reared its ugly head when I had to encounter, you know, some, I'm not going to, not going to name names, but like I had me questioning somebody's work dwindled down to my ethnicity and said, I was only asking this because I was Mexican. And that was the only reason I asked that question. And I'm like, okay, you know what? And, and it wasn't said directly to me, sure, but it was said in an office full of people about my scholarship, something Mm -hmm. I was making my life on. Right. And not only Man. that, the misogyny oh,
0: of yeah. oh, a supposed
1: yeah. progressive
0: department—yeah, <laughs> yeah—was
1: mind blowing.
0: Yeah,
1: and I had a grad advisor who consistently told me that I—and uh, I say advisor, not not an immediate advisor, but somebody who like worked us through classes. He did it for every single grad student. Okay, um, he oversaw the entire graduate um, graduate program. Um, who constantly insisted that I take Spanish. And I'm like, well, I'm not in the Americas tract, and I study
0: Muslims, and I know
1: Arabic, and I'm learning Urdu, I do not need to take Spanish.
0: (laughs) Y'all can't see my face right now. That is, wow.
1: (laughs) And the biggest problem that I had was, not only were they trying to change me academically, Mm -hmm. because they were trying to push me back into that religious studies box and And say, well, you can't really do all these things you want to do. Keep this. And it's like, but that's not what I want to do. That's not where my passion is. And that's not where my real questions are. Yeah. They were also telling when I would bring these issues to them, it was just like, well, you know, F them, just move past it. It's like, no, I do not need to keep moving past it. You need to step in and say this man has had many problematic incidents with multiple women (laughs) in this department. Right. Something needs to be done about him. And guess what? He got, he got, um, a a lecture job. (laughs) Oh man. Until he found a job. That is how they rewarded that. And I couldn't deal with it anymore. And there were, and, and, There were great people in that department. There were great students. There were great faculty. My Mm -hmm. faculty was supportive and helped me and pushed me. And I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for them. That being said, their blind spots, it was very unhealthy to be a woman of color in that situation. I was coming home and I was crying. Wow. And it was probably one of the largest decisions of my life that I had to make. I was in a PhD program. I was the only person who didn't have their master's going in. Everybody else was from Yale and Harvard and Stanford. And I was the only one who came in from UT straight from undergrad. And not only did I have to deal with imposter syndrome there, I had to deal with people yeah. constantly shutting me down because my st- my work wasn't scholarly enough or because of my ethnicity or my gender and that it was hard.
2: Mm.
1: And then I, mm. I, and so I had to make that decision. And luckily, I had a a partner who supported me and said, look, my my mom wasn't happy about it. He was like, don't listen to your mom. Don't listen to me. Don't ask. I'm not going to tell you anything. Mm. Don't even think financially. Yeah. Make your decision. Wow. And, you know, and me making the decision to leave hurt us a little bit. But I I, I did it and I had to do it. And I am 10 times happier working every day from seven to (laughs) three than I was in academia and by doing my podcast mm-hmm. i'm still putting in massive amounts of work to look at how pop culture is yes. framing how we see things yes beyond just writing fan fictions and going to conventions
2: <laughs> but
1: you know we had an entire nfl episode where we talked about the complexities of uh Uh, Kaepernick and how it's not just race; it's also this idea of paid patriotism that's happening in the NFL. Oh come on! And we, we have, you know, we're having these deep conversations. And I didn't do the research for that episode. My partner and co-host did. He did it. Um, I can't take credit for that. But we're having these deep conversations, and we're putting the hours into recording and researching. And when I put that episode out, yeah, people are listening. Yes, I don't have to wait. 10 years for my book to finally get into somebody's class and I can speak and it is there. (laughs) Yes, And you know, there is a little bit with podcasts where you don't always know if somebody's, you know, doing their due diligence.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, but that's one of the reasons why we're super open on ours. Like if, if we're talking about something that we may not know about, we say, Hey, I couldn't find much research, research on this at us. Let us know Send us some stuff our way, and <laughs> yeah. we'll. Uh, we had a true crime episode, and we were debating the use of sex worker versus prostitute. Mm-hmm. And uh, a, a listener sent sent me an article about um about how words change and their usage, and and I was like, this, this is is awesome article. This, this really helps us, you know, situate you know this this debate. Yes. Um, and for me, that's what I loved about academia. I loved the back and forth. I loved the teaching. I yes. loved the research, yes. and I'm getting that through my podcast. Um, and so I get the healthy part without having to deal with the racist misogyny. Um, so, I mean, I, I had great experiences in my department and, and when I left, I didn't just leave and say nothing. I could have, I could have gone on leave and said, Hey, I'm out. Peace. That's it. Right. Um, but no, I sat down with our chair and I said, these are, these are the reasons why I'm taking a leave and these are the issues in your department and this is who's doing this and this is what I see and this is my experience as a woman of color and I personally can, I would never recommend another student of color to come to this institution and hmm. I said that. Yeah. I was very blunt. Yeah. I was very forward and whenever a faculty member asked me why I was leaving, I was open about it. I yeah. didn't hide. I didn't cower. And yeah. I know that some people wouldn't agree with me. And I know that some people probably said, well, she's playing the race card or she's doing this. It's like, that's fine. I'll take that criticism. But I know that I have a perspective about what your department is doing to certain members of its grad student culture. And a lot of it is grad student centered and it's not really on the faculty. But the faculty need to know that they need to step in and they need to handle these situations instead of sending it Absolutely. out of the house.
2: Absolutely. And so
1: I, I left having had these meetings and told everybody on my way out, this is what it looks like for me.
2: (laughs) This is what it's
1: going to look like for other people of color. This is what it's going to look like for the, this is what it already looks like for a lot of the women in your department. Yeah. You should do something about it. Um, and from the information I've had, like after leaving, they, they've, they've been trying to do stuff about it, you know, um, putting people in their places, removing them from positions that they may not be well suited for. Um, and that to me is a win because it's not about me like I don't feel like I got vindicated or I got some justice from it (laughs) I'm thinking about the other students who may be the first in their family to go to college may be the first in their family to get you know an extended degree and I don't want them to face that hardship to where they have to make the choice that I did I mean I don't regret my choice I love it I am a recovering academic I love my life. (laughs) I am so happy right now in tech. But I should never have had to make that choice other than whether or not I wanted to do the work. Yeah. And that is something that I didn't want anybody coming in here after me to go through because they wanted a diverse they wanted a diverse group. Granted, they kept taking people from Yale, but (laughs) they wanted a diverse group. And you can only have diversity if you have inclusivity. You have to make people feel at home. You can't yeah. just do the college brochure. You actually got to make sure all these people feel safe and happy where they are. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I got where I was. It's a, it's a little dark, a little deep and a little hopeful, I hope.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think you are touching on something within higher education that is, in many regards, just now starting to come unraveled right it's it's a very male dominated environment we know this i mean study after study has revealed that white men in particular i mean i think i just saw another study last month about how many um people of color you know are tenured or on the tenure track you know it's just remarkably low right so i think you're hitting on something and i think there i think there will be more i think you've given permission for some people to be like you know what this just isn't no i I can walk away from this and and because i think the higher institution higher ed institutions have, have held this right this um, what do they call it? The the Ivory Tower for so long. It's the like, Ivory Tower. And, and right. And so now we're, you know, folks like yourself are finally saying, nah, no, F that. Nah, 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 hold up. We can do other things. And there are other mediums. You're absolutely right. Your podcasts are great examples of that. I mean, it's like, you know, you can blog, you can put stuff out there, man. So I, I do believe, and this is one of the things I'm trying to bring up, even in my department, is like I do believe you can bring other mediums of of scholarship that aren't in the traditional realm of just paper you know, and, and book covers. So no, I'm, I'm with that. I'm with that. I mean, I'm saddened. don't get me wrong, but I, but I love what you're doing.
1: Yeah. That's usually what I hear from the people that have, that I've worked with or I've met at conferences. And then once again, I hear Kendrick in my head telling me to be humble, but it's like that, like I acknowledge that I walked away from something that I was good at. Yeah. Um, but I did it to walk into something that made me happy and I was also good at absolutely. Um, And that, that, that to me, and honestly, if you're listening out there and you're struggling and you're on the fence, I'm going to tell you what one of my professors told me and she was amazing because I told her I'm feeling shame right now. Mm. You all have put so much into me and she stopped me and she said, um, you may have to bleep it out, but she said, you don't owe academia a fucking thing. (laughs) And she's, and, and she's a super religious woman and she had told us don't cuss around her before. And she looked me straight in the eyes.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And told me exactly that. And that yep. was what I needed to make my decision because if you're listening and you don't know how what choice to make, the choice is for you. The choice yeah. is not for your advisor. Yeah. The choice is not even for your publisher or your conference or anything. It is about you wow. and what is gonna make you healthy and happy and self care matters above anything else. There are different avenues yes. for you to use your voice. Yes. And that is the good thing about the social media age.
0: Exactly no that's what's up wow K, you've wow you've laid it down this is amazing we're going to have to get you back on because i there's more stuff that we need to cover with comic but we haven't even touched in comic. We, <laughs> we already. i
1: obviously so. love talking so no this is
0: that's that's exactly why i wanted to get you on this is this is great um just for the listeners and again i'll put these things in the show notes where can people find you what are you up to now what what, what other podcasts do you have going on this is a plug plug away
1: Yes, shameless plugging. I am host and sound editor of But Why Though, the podcast where we talk about the things in pop culture that people say matter, and we ask the question, but why though? Every Wednesday, we release a new episode about different fandoms and things that people hold really near and dear to their heart, and we tell you why it matters On uh, you know, from societal changes to cultural changes to, you know, changing genres of movie or comic. Um, hmm. We've had everything from discussions about uh, Kaepernick to Laura Croft
2: there to Bill go.
1: Nye the Science Guy to uh, the the horror movie Scream. So we talk about everything and we investigate it. Um, you can find us at But Why Though PC on Instagram and Twitter, um, Facebook.com slash But Why PC. And lastly, our... Um, our website, but why though podcast.com. And, um, Dan mentioned earlier, Oh, my Wednesday, (laughs) the American gods podcast at Oh, my Wednesday.com. Um, and if you want to at me, if you have any questions from what I said in the episode, um, if you want to talk to me about leaving academia, um, or if you just wanna like tell me you're gonna pray for me, I'm not gonna respond, but you can go ahead and at me <laughs>
2: there
0: you at
1: go. oh my myth Randier on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, feel free to ask me questions, challenge me. I'm open to it. That's so.
0: what's up. That's what's up. Well, Kate, I really appreciate you taking the time to come out and talk, <laughs> and we are gonna have you on again.
1: Yeah, most definitely. Thank you for having me on. It was it was a blast.
0: Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right. Until next time. Oh, well, what'd you think? <laughs> Good conversation, right? She's got some really, really great positions and places that she has been, and really her own worldview of life and God and theology is actually very well thought out. And hopefully you've been challenged. Hopefully you've thought through a little bit of, of uh, you know, what this what this looks like. What does God look like for you? Right. I mean, I, and here's the thing. I'm having a great conversation with a former student of mine who's now a friend. Um, and we were talking about, I think when it's all said and done, whatever, you know, when it, it you know, when, whatever it you want to define life, the world, Armageddon, whatever, whatever. When it's all said and done, I think we're going to look back and look at somebody and overlook at God and look at the theology we've been given and be like, wow, man, was I wrong? Man, was I should have I should have spent more time. Loving on folks rather than judging them. Right. And I'm speaking to myself. Right. I should have spent more time um, embracing diversity rather than trying to fight it. I mean, I just think we're going to be really surprised when we meet a creator, we meet the creator right? or or multiple creators. Like I said, I'm going to be doing a show soon on God and extraterrestrialism, all that good stuff as well, because I think it's important to begin to push past. The conformist view of religion and the way in which we have come about our own theology is oftentimes informed by family socialization, social constructs of order, social constructs of dominance, right? Why is it that we always just see a male God? That is problematic in, on many levels. And so why do we refer to God as a he and a male pronoun only? Um, That creates problems. And so I want us to be challenged a little bit. And uh, you know, the challenge is the wrong word. That's really an eighties word, right? Like a a McDowell word, (laughs) right? Um, I really want us to begin to think critically about what it is we believe in. Um, there's, There's, again, I've said this before, there's a great theology within the tension Within the doubt, within the ambiguity, within the, the places and spaces that we call familiar, I want to defamiliarize those. And I think that's important in a faith and spiritual journey. Yes, peace is important. Yes, uh, looking at, at, at Christ's example, God's example, living uh, amongst our, our brothers, sisters, and non conformed, non gender conformist folks. We need that. We need that. And that's all important the love of your neighbor, whoever your neighbor may be. But I also think, as we begin to think about ideology, it's important to shake it up, like a little snow globe. I think we got to shake those ideologies up and let what falls, let it let it just fall, and let what sticks, let it stick. But so often we hang around in our own circles and our own environments, and we just we don't venture outside of that. And this is this is not just me talking. Look at any behavioral science uh, journal, look at any sociological groups, and especially now in the in the Trump era, right? we hang around a lot of the same people that think and act and be with it, birds of a feather. So again, I'm not knocking that. I know I do some of the same things too, but how do we push beyond that? Because if we if if we are to grow, how are we to grow if we just hang around some of the same people we hang around with all the time, right? <laughs> so I think it's important to look at research like around the god hat, right? Around uh, the, the the god virus as as some uh, folks have put it out there, you know, particularly as how religion gets constructed and how it gets developed i think those are important things so this conversation was very important and as with anything we will have kate back on the show and we'll have a good time with her so as with anything as i said at the beginning of the podcast subscribe listen you can find us on WhiteHotchpodcast.com. you can find us on itunes stitcher google soundcloud and so hopefully you have uh, commented and given us some good ratings any of you don't want to give us good bad you know you want to give us a bad rating like that sucks that's fine too um you know uh but whatever you do please do subscribe and keep tuning in because we're gonna keep bringing it to y'all What you think? All right. Hopefully you enjoyed the discussion. And if you go to whitehodgepodcast.com, you can comment. Uh, You want to send me an email. uh, You can send that there. I'm usually at Dan at whitehodge.com. You can also go to whitehodge.com as well and contact me there. I got more source materials there as well. So check it out. Tell me what you think. And I will see you on the next one.
2: Peace.